Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harshaw Jr., bringing you a solo episode today. I hope you're doing well out there in podcast land, or or maybe I'm in podcast land and and you're out there in the real world. But uh, wherever you're at, I hope you're doing well. Um, I am certainly excited about something upcoming because I have had a dream of working from anywhere, sort of the laptop entrepreneur lifestyle. I've had that dream ever since I read The 4-Hour Workweek, Tim Ferriss's first New York Times number one best-selling book. And that's been planted in my head for so long. And now I get to finally live that out. So I'm, my family and I were heading out to Montana. We live in Charlottesville, Virginia now. We're heading to Montana for about a month and a half. We're going to go on this trip. And it's something we had been talking about and planning for a long, long time. And then the whole COVID-19 thing came along. And now I think uh, things are starting to open up. And I think we can do this in a, in a safe fashion, certainly going to be a look a little bit different than we had originally planned it. But we have some in-laws out there. And uh, we're going to spend time with them. But um, anyway, we're heading out there soon. So we're super excited about that. But this has been a long time coming. It was about, I don't know, 2008 or so when this seed was planted in my mind and this dream got planted and I've had a lot of failures along the way. As a matter of fact, uh, the business that I thought was going to give me this lifestyle was called Riot Sports Marketing. Some of you listeners out there may uh, actually remember that, but that failed. And I really thought that was going to be the business that was going to put me in a position to, to do that and to live this dream. And here we are 12 years later, it's come to fruition. And so sometimes it takes persistence, uh, not sometimes, but quite often those big dreams, those big goals take persistence. And uh, so here we are getting to live that out very shortly. So some of these upcoming podcast episodes are going to be brought to you from a, a different time zone and a different place. So pretty excited about that. But one of the things that really propelled me into being able to take this next step and to be able to live out this dream was my ability to overcome my fear of public speaking. And it was something that I just, you know, kind of always knew or felt that I wasn't good at and had these limiting beliefs around my ability to speak to an audience or speak up. But I do love identifying my fears and facing my fears, speaking being one of them. I've, uh, I'm also afraid of heights, but I have jumped out of an airplane, perfectly good airplane a couple of times, twice. Uh, I have bungee jumped. I've rock climbed quite a bit. And so I've done a lot of things to face those fears and I enjoy doing those types of things. And this was just another one. So I want to take you through that journey and and teach you a few lessons that hopefully will save you some of the, the failure and frustration and setback and anxiety and fears that I had, as well as give you a framework for how to do it. Like, what do you do? Like, what's the plan that you can put in place to help you become a better public speaker, but also the tactics and framework for for creating a talk, right? And whether that talk is at a friend's wedding or at a eulogy or for a sales presentation or at a major conference or just for three colleagues who you work with, right? So I want to give you a framework for creating uh, communication that's going to resonate with people, increase your influence, position you as an expert, and give you a platform for moving your career forward, uh, but also moving, you know, putting you in a place to, to give successful talks uh, in your personal life as well. 
So that's the why. I want to give you the why. Uh, I want to give you my story and then also the how. Okay, so those are the three things that we're going to cover in this episode. I already gave you some of the whys, right? Weddings, eulogies, sales presentations, um, you know, maximizing your your influence and positioning yourself as an expert. Uh, also growth, right? We, we all love to grow and conquer fears. If we always are moving forward, we feel uh, satisfied, right? That's a, a necessary piece of, of satisfaction and living uh, a fulfilling life is to feel like we're growing in some way, right? Personally, professionally, um, it doesn't matter. And listen, most people are never going to really step out and, and want to speak publicly. Most people have a fear of it. It's, it's, it's well documented that it's one of the most common or maybe the most common fear that people have is, is speaking in front of groups, speaking publicly. So this will differentiate you. So there's so many so many whys, right? And those are all the sort of positives, but I'll give you the negative too. Like if you don't brush up on this skill, if you don't have solid public speaking skills, you are going to be put into a place sometime where you have to speak. You're required to do it. And those, if you have poor skills there, they can hold you back, right? So developing the skills can propel you forward. Uh, ignoring them can hold you back. So let me share with you a little bit about how I came to be a public speaker, especially from a person who, who feared it and always shied away from that kind of thing. So my, my job at the University of Virginia, I was a major gift officer raising uh, you know, millions of dollars for uh, University of Virginia athletics. And you know, I was kind of in my element there, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a former All-American athlete, three-time ACC champion, uh, former assistant coach there. And I'm kind of the the guy who came back to to his his alma mater and got to serve in this role. So I was I was very much in my element, right? I have two degrees from the school, like very much in my element, working in the athletic department, telling the story of student athletes, telling the story of coaches. I was a you know, non-scholarship, uh, recruited walk-on when I showed up. I was uh, almost a full scholarship athlete by the time I left. Like, I, I, I walked both sides, right, uh, of the non-scholarship and the scholarship athlete and, you know, the student athlete and the coach. Like, I had the whole thing covered, right? I am in my element. And being in my element, you would think that I would have no fear of speaking because this is my world. This is my school. This is my, you know, I'm an I'm a former successful athlete there. But one point I decided to step out and speak. And it was at an event. There were about 200 or so people there. And I had the microphone in my hand. Someone came over and handed me a microphone because I raised my hand, stood up, asked a question to the president, then president of the university in front of about 200 people. And I froze. Like I, I got the question out, but I was like visibly nervous. And you could see this. And I'm like, holy, you know, I handed the microphone back and the president answered the question. I was like, why did I get so dang nervous? And I'm looking around, all these people are standing up and asking questions. And, and I'm thinking like, nobody else is nervous here, realizing now that there were like six people who stood up, but there were, you know, 194 others who, did, who didn't, who were probably afraid to stand up, right? But thinking to myself, like, why do I have such a problem? Why do I have such a fear of this? And how do I break out of this? And, you know, the thoughts started going through my head of, well, I'm just not good enough. You know, maybe I'm good at these other things, but this is just not something I'm good enough. This was a limiting belief that I had. And listen, you have limiting beliefs too. Everybody has limiting beliefs. And usually they show up as something where you just 
think it's it's true, right? It's just a fact. Well, it's just a fact that I couldn't speak, right, publicly. It's just not my thing. Well, I come to realize that was just a limiting belief. Just like the limiting belief that I have talked about for anybody who's been listening to any time here. I've, I recently ran a marathon and that was a limiting belief of mine for many, many years that I'm just not a good runner. I'm just not a long distance runner, right? I can, I can wrestle, I can compete at a high level, I can be in incredible shape for wrestling, but long distance running is just not something that the gym is good at. Well, I, I broke that limiting belief as well. And, but this limiting belief starts, you know, just sort of welling up and saying, okay, Jim, you're just not good enough at this. Then I saw a book on my shelf that I've had, had, I still have sitting there on my bookshelf. And it is a book about becoming a better public speaker. It's The Art of Public Speaking by Dale Carnegie. And in that book, I, I picked up that book one evening and I was flipping through it and it talked about, because I, I hadn't read this book to this point, but I had it on my shelf and I knew that this is something that I wanted to get better at, but I never really committed to it. But it talked about being skilled at public speaking is, is really a matter of practice and knowledge and skill in that anybody can beat stage fright, nerves, and fear. And that hooked me, believing that maybe, just, just maybe, I left, I left the door open, that maybe I could become at least good enough at it. Maybe I could just be like competent. Maybe not great, but at least, you know, competent. So that when these opportunities come for me to speak, I, I won't, at least I won't embarrass myself, right? So I said, well, how do I do this? How do I move forward in this? So, so I, I Googled, you know, how to practice becoming a better speaker. And this led me to Toastmasters. And if you've not heard of Toastmasters, it's a national nonprofit. And there are chapters in every town probably in America. Uh, in Charlottesville, which is a small city, there are at least three, I think, chapters of Toastmasters. So they're all over the place. They're very inexpensive to, to sign up for. But this is an opportunity. It's basically this, this small group where you meet with, you know, the group that I was the group that I was part of was about 15 people. And they would meet on a weekly basis. And there's a there are sort of workbooks that you can work through and sort of frameworks and teaching around how to how to craft a talk for different audiences and different types of talks, etc. And I saw this and I was like, gosh, this, this looks great, but they meet every week. I, I don't have time. I don't have time to, to prepare for talks and give talks and to be part of this organization. I just, you know, I just don't have the time for this. And so I kicked the can down the road a little further and my struggles continued. Even in like staff meetings, I was afraid to speak up and that pushed me over the edge. And I said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit to Toastmasters, but I'm going to just commit to going once a month. Not once a week. They meet every week, but I'm just going to go once a month to the meetings. And I did that. So I started going to Toastmasters, started practicing in front of you know 10 or 15 or 20 people, depending on how many people showed up that day. And I started gaining a little bit of confidence, right? And then one day I'm driving to work and I... I hear, I'm, I never listen to this radio station, this one radio station. I flipped over to it for some odd reason. It's funny how these things work out when you look in hindsight. But I flipped over this radio station as I was pulling into the parking lot of where I was working. It was the, at, you know, my office was in the football stadium at the University of Virginia. And I was pulling into the football stadium and I hear this advertisement about it's a public service announcement about, hey, you know, Charlottesville is host, has one of the largest TED events in the world, TEDx events. There's 
thousands of these, you know, I think over 10,000 events in the world now. And Charlottesville is among the 1% of largest TEDx events in the world. And they're look, they have a, a slate of gr- amazing speakers from all over the world they're bringing in, and they're looking for one community speaker, and anybody can apply. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, I would love to apply, but I got one of those days right now where I have 12 hours to work, of work to do in an eight-hour day. I just don't have time to even apply, and, and the application deadline was that night, 5 p.m. But I pulled into the parking spot, and I, and I jotted down some notes on a, on a notepad, and I said, well, if I do get a chance to, to submit an application, this, these are the three bullet points I would talk about. And about 3 o'clock that afternoon, it was nagging me so much that I had given up on, on applying for this, this opportunity, this chance to you know, test my skills and, and step into my fear, right? The, like the fear of uh, heights, you know, I, this is an opportunity to, to test your fear to apply for this like kind of big time speaking opportunity. And so three o'clock that afternoon, I run out to my car, I sit down, I hold my phone in front of my face and I shoot a two minute video. And that video is sort of my, my, you know, here's what I would talk about if you chose me. And I submitted it. Apparently about 65 other people submitted videos as well. And about a week later, I got an email saying, hey, 65 people applied. We chose 25 people and all 25 of you get a opportunity, four-minute opportunity to speak in front of a group of uh, who, well, whoever shows up at this one sort of smaller venue, but it had, the venue held about 500 people. And we're going to let the audience decide. This is an open mic night. So I'm like, oh my goodness, now I'm going to speak in front of hundreds of people. I'm so nervous, and but I'm excited at the same time, right? Again, facing a fear and getting to step into this fear. And so it's about two weeks I have to prepare for this. And I, I kind of hone my talk and you know make it a four-minute talk. And what I realize is a friend of mine had actually won this the prior year, a guy who I knew. And his name's Darius Neighbors, D-A-R-I-U-S-N-A-B-O-R-S. And I'm going to put that, I'm going to ask Leica to put this in the action plan. Uh, by the way, you can get the action plan from this episode. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action. I have all the bullet points and all the how-to at the end that I'm going to share too. But Darius, he has a website, 59in59.com. 59 weeks, 59 parks. And he actually traveled uh, to 59 national parks in 59 weeks. So very cool website. I definitely recommend you check out Darius Neighbors. But anyway, I called up Darius. I said, hey, man, you won this open mic night last year. How did you do it? And he's hilarious, by the way. And I, I will actually uh, dig up his TEDx talk. Um, and it's a hilarious TEDx talk because he, he won this event, the open mic night, and got to speak on the main stage at the main event at the Charlottesville TEDx the year prior. So I got some tips, right? So I, I leveraged somebody in my network, right? You know, going back to you know, my interview with Tim Ferriss, interviews with... Well, two-part interview with Tim Ferriss, you know, where do you have an asymm... Where, where can you place asymmetric bets? Where do you have an unfair advantage? Well, I had a little bit of an unfair advantage because I, I was... I knew the guy. It was at least colleagues. We were acquaintances. At that point, we've since become friends, but I, I knew him. So I said, Darius, how'd you do it? And he gave me some tips on how he do it, how he, how he, you know, sort of framed his talk to win. And I also showed up that night and I told all my friends, I said, you got to come out and vote for me. Well, everybody else did the same thing, which is the only reason why 500 people showed up to, to listen to a bunch of nobodies give a four minute talk. And lo and behold, I get there. I'm so nervous, but I step out on stage. And at the end of the night, they announced the winners and I won. 
I was excited and scared as heck. Now, a month later, I get to, or I had to, I felt like I had to, right? I was like, oh my gosh, like I, I get to, and but also have to, like there was fear and excitement at the same time. Speak in front of an audience of about a thousand people on the main stage at a larger venue. It's going to be streamed worldwide. And this is, this has to be the talk of my life. So I went from total fear of speaking, not even wanting to practice or get any better to just taking steps forward. And all of a sudden, I'm on the main stage at a major TEDx event. Now, I love the quote, you can't stumble into something unless you're moving forward. You can't stumble into something unless you're moving forward. I stumbled into this, but I would have never stumbled into it had it not been for fear and failure in moving forward, moving into that fear. I didn't know where this path was going to take me. You never will, but you have to move forward, right? Now, listen, I'm going to step out of the conversation about public speaking for just a second, because this goes for any part of your life. Move forward. It almost doesn't matter what you do. Just pick something, move forward, you know, connect with a person, call your uh, Darius neighbors, right? Call somebody who else, who, who has done what you want to do. Reach out to them, email them, send them a text, connect with them on LinkedIn, whatever it is, like move forward. And that's what I did. And I stumbled into this and I'm scared as crap. And I I immediately go home and the next day I write out my speech. Okay, 15 minute TEDx talk. I'm so excited about this. And I connect with the TED people and they say, okay, uh, Jim, your talk is going to be seven minutes. And I'm like, seven minutes? Like everybody else gets 15 minutes. Why Why do I only get seven minutes? I'm so bummed. And they say, well, Jim, we're also going to assign you a coach a speaking coach. And so they assigned me with this amazing woman, Susan McCauley, shout out to Susan. And she helped me hone my 15 minute talk down to seven minutes, right? So I started at two minutes with my, you know, my application video, then four minutes for the, the, the open mic night event. And then I scaled it up to 15 minutes and then I had to go back down to seven minutes. Right. And, and she did a really good job of helping me get this down to seven minutes and which ended up being the blessing in disguise. So the reason I say that is because more people are willing to watch a seven minute talk than a 15 minute talk. What a blessing. Now, listen, you're going to have things in your life where you're going to go, oh man, what a kick in the pants. What a kick in the gut. Like this stinks. You know, I, I, I was hoping for this, but I only got that. What a blessing that can be sometimes. You'll never know what that blessing is until later on. You'll be able to look back on it. But I want you to consider something in your life right now where you're like, man, this really sucks. And say, maybe, just maybe, I'll look back at this down the road and then there's a blessing. And maybe you can see that blessing right now. So I got to work with a coach. This is my first experience outside of athletics working with a coach. And she helps me craft this talk. And I get an opportunity. I've shared this before on the podcast, but I'll share it again right now briefly. About one week before the main event. So this is about a month after the open mic night. I get an opportunity to speak to a large group of about 100 people at the University of Virginia. And they say, hey, Jim, we, you know, we'd like you to talk about athletics, but also failure because your talk is about, my t- talk is titled Why I Teach My Children to Fail. And they were like so excited. And so it was about 25 minute talk they asked me to give. And I tried to blend my TEDx talk in with sort of a larger talk about Virginia athletics. 
And I totally failed. I bombed. I mean, I bombed like to the point where like I practically had a nervous breakdown in front of a hundred people. This is like everybody's biggest fear whenever they're thinking about public speaking. Well, it happened to me and I lived through it. All right. It was terrifying and it was terrible. And, but I, you know, I stumbled through and I, I kind of regained my composure, found my spot. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, a week from today, I'm supposed to give the talk of my my life. I'm working with a coach and people believe in me and they trusted me and they voted for me and they thought I'm supposed to do a good job. And I'm feeling this pressure. Well, that day slowly gets closer and I'm practicing and I'm practicing. I must have practiced my, my speech 50, 60, 75 times. Um, I practice over and over and over. And the main day comes. And this event is like big time. They have all these amazing speakers and you know people pay a lot of money and they, they sit all day and they watch these great speakers all throughout the day. And there's like a green room. And then there's like right before like a couple, you know, when you're uh, a couple people in the hall or on deck, you know, you have to go and get makeup done. They mic you up and they do all, you know, this is like showtime, right? And you step out on stage and I'm looking at a thousand people, a huge timer right in front of me. And they introduce me and everybody cheers and the lights are on and I'm blinded by the lights. And this is my moment. And I nailed it. I nailed it. And if you've never seen my TEDx talk, I recommend you check it out. We'll put the link in the, uh, in the action plan. Again, jimharshawjr.com slash action. And I nailed it, right? And this set off a bunch of other opportunities for me to speak. So I started speaking and speaking to organizations and groups and companies, not a ton, but just here and there. And then I started saying, well, maybe, maybe I have a speaking fee. Cause sometimes people would be like, well, what's your fee? And I was like, ah, oh, fee, I, I do this for free. Like I'm, I'm not a professional. Well, you become a professional once you get paid. And so I started to get paid just small sums, but every time I still struggled to be comfortable. I did not crush my fears by any stretch. And I'm going to tell you later how I did crush my fears eventually. But I really struggled to get comfortable. And I didn't really have a framework for crafting a talk. And so I learned about another individual, Dr. Rob Gilbert, who hosts the Success Hotline. I had him on the podcast back in episode 33. And I talked to him about speaking. And he's like, Jim, it's so easy. Let me just teach you. So I hired him. I started paying him to be my coach. And lo and behold, I got better. My second experience with a coach. Now I'm getting better. Now I'm starting to get paid. Now I'm starting to get paid real money. I got paid, you know, I remember at one point I got paid $2,500 for a one hour talk. I'm like, holy mackerel, this is crazy, right? You know, this is, this is peanuts compared to some of the top speakers out there. And, but I just kept feeling that I was average or even below average, right? And then I started getting testimonials and that I was really making an impact. And I, kept feeling though, I'm just not good enough, right? Maybe these people are just being nice. Then I took my own medicine and I started using something that I now call a cognitive conversion. And I talk about this in episode 139. So 139, the cognitive conversion. This is a shift in your mindset. If you have a limiting belief, and I should say this, you do have a limiting belief. And like I pointed out earlier, it's something that just shows up as a fact. Something you say, I can't blank because of blank, right? Whatever that is, fill in the blanks and then 
there, there you have it, your limiting belief. I don't have, uh, I can't start a business because I don't have enough time or I don't have the connections. I can't write a book because uh, I'm not a good writer. Whatever it is, those are, those are limiting beliefs, right? That are holding you back. But I identified those and I created a mantra, not dissimilar from how I created a mantra when I was competing in wrestling, when I stepped on the mat and I had a fear of failure. When I stepped in front of on a stage, I also had that fear of failure. So I created a mantra that was, it was akin to, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, I can inspire an audience. And, and it was that, that was it, right? Something very simple. I don't even remember what it was, but it was so simple. And then I started visualizing myself being successful on stage and walking off, literally visualizing myself stepping off stage and people saying, Jim, that was incredible. And that started happening even more. And I created a success log. Logging all of my successes and victories, not only in speaking, but also in business, but also in my personal life, my professional life, my successes, you know, even back to athletics as being an All-American, all these reasons why that I could be successful in this, in building this business. Despite the fact that I had a failed business that I had left, you know, this riot sports marketing business and I had totally choked on stage and I had always, always feared public speaking, but I started practicing what I preach and what I teach my clients now. And I started getting paid more and more. And then I started getting rehired. And then this continued over the course of several years. And I had built a coaching program by then, et cetera, kind of fast forwarding a bit here. And then came the moment of truth. I had to go all in and I quit my job. I quit my job. I've got four kids. I've got a six figure job, which is a, a job that most people would die for because I'm flying on private jets with people like Tony Bennett, who's the national coach of the year, NCAA champion basketball team and, and flying all around the country on private jets and chartered planes and getting inside access to all this awesome, you know, one of the top athletic departments in the country. And it was a great job, a great job, but I quit because there was something higher calling. So I quit my job and things just skyrocket. And this is not long ago, right? This is like seven, uh, not even eight months ago yet. So I quit my job and things take off and everything is just amazing. It's beyond what I could have, I shouldn't say imagined because I did imagine it all. I actually visualized everything and it was all coming true. Everything was going exactly to plan. And then COVID-19, right? And this derails things, right? I get some clients who are saying, listen, Jim, uh, I, I can't join your program right now because you know, I might lose my job, right? I had um, a couple of speaking gigs on the, on the table that instantly got you know, vanished because of, because of you know, live events were shut down. And I began to struggle mentally more than anything. It's kind of like that Mark Twain quote. He says this, he said, I'm an old man and I've known a great many troubles but most of them never happened, <laughs> right? So I'm starting to imagine that I'm going to lose all this business and all this that I work for is going to come crashing down and I started getting anxiety. And then I shifted my mindset to a servant mindset and about building relationships and developing trust. And that shift, literally one morning, I had that mindset shift in the shower because I was sort of thinking about my day and all the nervousness that I had and anxiety. And I made the shift and now I've become, you know, I've, I've taken my business even to another level, which is crazy to even think about. And I've had significant success since then. I'm working with companies like Hartford Funds and University of Texas and Edward Jones and global companies that you've probably never heard of. And, you know, uh, TIAA and University of Virginia, et cetera. And 
and I'm getting these, these, these testimonials and feedback about these talks that I'm giving now, these virtual talks and people saying, you delivered the perfect, I'm going to give, read you a couple of messages that I, I've, testimonials I've gotten. You delivered the perfect message to our team. It was liquid gold. Another one said, I received so much positive feedback. My team is asking when we're going to have you again. Another one said, uh, through your storytelling and interactive Zoom exercises and practical tips, you helped our team find ways to thrive during this unsettling time. And the last one, a huge, uh, you were a huge hit for this afternoon's presentation. Thank you. And so, so I started getting these, right? And it was all due to this mindset shift. And it was all through this process of struggle and failure and setback that finally got me to this point. So I'm going to give you a framework now to save you the sum of the adversity and failure and setbacks and headaches because it's absolutely a requirement along the way to be successful. So I'm going to give you a few things, a few bullet points now to help you deal with nerves, also to help you sort of frame a talk, a talk that will be impactful, that will help you in your career uh, or in your personal life. And it will also help you find confidence in an area you may not have confidence in right now. Okay, so two things. Number one, I'm going to help you with nerves. Okay, serve. Okay, this is not about you. This is about serving your audience. One of the things that I do before I go on stage is I, or even just these virtual talks that I'm doing now is I literally visualize myself on my knee serving this audience. I love this quote. I just heard this quote uh, during, uh, I was doing a calm meditation using the app, the calm app. Uh, and I read this quote from H. Jackson Brown. He said, remember that everyone you meet is afraid of something, loves something and has lost something. This type of quote helps you remember that everybody here is a real person. I don't care who they are, how amazing they are, how much money they make, or if they're the CEO or whatever. They're afraid of something. They love something and they have lost something. You can serve them. All right, that's number one. Number two, make them laugh. Find a joke, either a joke from something that happened you know, that day to you or at the event or to the audience or something like that, or pre-plan, like something that'll make them chuckle, right? That's number two. Number three, it helps me deal with my nerves. Uh, I remember this is just a short part of my day, right? If it's a 15-minute talk or an hour-long talk, doesn't matter. This is just a small part of my day. Another one is, you've already won. I remember that I've already won. And that can be just remembering that you've already won and by, by having gratitude, you know, for me, I live in America, I live in a great community and just so blessed and thankful for my family, et cetera. Um, if you're a follower of Christ, like I am, then you certainly have already won, right? You have nothing to worry about. I love the, the phrase, no longer a slave to fear for I am a child of God. Like I rely on that one whenever I step on stage or step in front of an audience. And just along those lines, also just having gratitude for this opportunity. Like I am so grateful for the opportunity to speak and to present and to share, to share something with this group. And lastly, have a framework for delivery and for preparation. And that's what I'm going to give you next. Okay. So this last point for helping you with your nerves, have a framework for delivery of your talk and have a framework for preparation before your talk. All right. So I'm going to move into that now. What is the framework for creating an amazing talk? All right, number one, tell them what you're going to tell them. Tell them and then tell them what you told them. I don't, rem- I don't know who, whoever quoted this, this quote is uh, attributed to. It's certainly not me, but it's so simple, right? It's such a great framework for, for any talk that you give, whether it's to three colleagues in your office or, or an audience of thousands. Tell them what you're going to tell them. 
tell them and then tell them what you told them, right? People want to know guideposts. They want to know, like I did at the beginning of this episode, I said, I'm going to tell you the why, I'm going to give you my story, and I'm going to give you the how, right? So I told you what I was going to tell you, then I'm now I'm telling you, and then I'll wrap up by telling you what I told you. So people want to know guideposts. You ever listen to a speaker and you're like, where is this going? What's the point of all this? Do I even know? Like, you, you People want to know, right? So pay attention to yourself when you're listening to other speakers and you'll see that. All right, number two, you must have the mindset of serving your audience. Know your audience. That's number two is know your audience. Know their pain points, know their experiences, know their lingo, learn about their industry, know your audience. All right, number three, your job is to energize. Dr. Gilbert tells me this all the time. He says, your job is to to engage and energize the audience. Really, if you do that, if you do nothing else but energize them, then you will have done a good job, right? And you do this through stories, through uh, sometimes even activities, right? Your job is to energize them. Another one is to be authentic. This is number four, be authentic. Share something that makes you real. And I hope I did that with you today because... Uh, you know, I shared with you that, that I failed. I totally have fallen on my face in talks before, totally fearful. Um, I've been there. And hopefully that makes me just a, a real normal, like, hey, this, you know, if this guy can do it, I, anybody can do it. <laughs> so be authentic, be genuine, right? Share something. Um, another one is number five, don't rely on PowerPoint. Like you can use PowerPoint, but don't like have a ton of words on the slides. I use uh, Guy Kawasaki's framework for... Uh, PowerPoint presentations. And that is this 10 slides, 20 minutes, 30 font. All right. This is for pitching for like venture capital, but it's, uh, it's relevant to us here as well. 10 slides, 20 minutes, 30 font, right? So minimal number of slides and the length of the presentation, he says, he says 20 minutes for making a pitch, right? But your, your talk is going to be, you know, whatever time frame you have, it might be 10 minutes, it might be an hour, um, but minimal slides. And then, and then, uh, and then 30 font, like big font, you shouldn't have a lot of words, you shouldn't have, you know, tons of bullet points and lots of words for people to read, uh, that would just lose your audience. So minimal PowerPoint. Number six, practice, go to Toastmasters or join Toastmasters. You can go for free to check out a meeting, uh, but Google Toastmasters. Look them up on the internet and, and for the local chapters in your town. Uh, or just find a way to speak up at a staff meeting or call a meeting of just you know, three or four or five of your colleagues. Practice. And lastly, get a coach. Get a coach. Right? Find somebody who can help you. Find a, a coach or at the very least a mentor because there's no reason for you to have to go this alone. I have a coach for myself, right? I have a speaking coach. I also have a business coach. Like, And the business coach is, is, is a cross between sort of like I do, executive and, and life coaching. And it's extremely valuable to me. And that's the only reason I got to this point. So I encourage you to consider all of those. Most importantly, at the end, pay somebody, hire somebody to help you. Now, if you want to talk about how to implement any of this in your life, now, I, listen, I am not a speaking coach, so, so don't, uh, don't reach out to me to be your speaking coach, but, but if you do want to learn how to level up your life and you want to think about getting a coach, if you feel like you have more potential in you and, and you just can't break through the, the mindset challenges that you might have, and listen, you might be making awesome money, you might be successful from the outside looking in, but you know there's more potential in you, then uh, let's find a time to talk. You just go to jimharshawjr.com slash apply and, and you and I can, can find a time to talk. But really, I want you to 
to get the value out of this episode. I want you to understand that you have more potential inside of you. You have limiting beliefs. Like I said, we all do. And if you can figure out how to break those limiting beliefs, it will help you release the parking brake that you're driving with right now in your life. So I look forward to the opportunity to be part of of your success journey. Uh, Again, if you have questions, you want to learn about how to implement what I'm talking here mindset-wise into your life and structure-wise into your life, jimharshajr.com slash apply. Thank you for listening. And as always, take the time to get clear on your goals and embrace failure as a stepping stone on your path to success. (music) 